Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm Ethan Ryder today. I'm joined by our reporter, Jacob Rudner. Jacob, how are you doing today? Ethan, I'm doing swell. How are you? I am doing great. I'm also joined by our reporter, Carson Brever. Carson, how are you doing today? Ethan, I am just wonderful. Awesome to hear. And I'm also joined by site publisher, Chris Cartman. Chris, how are you doing today? Living the dream, Ethan, as always. Living the dream. All you can ask for. ASU, we're not quite living the dream last weekend as they lost 24 to 10 against Oregon State in Corvallis. They were missing 12 players, including five starters. ASU is now seven and four on the season and five and three in the Pac-12, which means they are now out of the Pac-12 South title race. ASU now five and one at home, but two and three away from Sun Devil Stadium. We'll start with just initial takeaways. Jacob, what were your initial takeaways from this one? Yeah, it, it, this was a this was a tough game for ASU. And of course, part of this is a byproduct of just having so many important players missing. But really, the Sun Devils were not able to get anything going in this game. They've relied so heavily on their rushing attack in recent wins, uh, weren't able to get that going in this one. Jaden Daniels, again, was largely ineffective, uh, you know, and it creates these issues offensively that are, you know, not helped at all by the fact that there are seven false start penalties throughout the contest, including several in very uh, key situations that took ASU out of what would have been likely convertible downs. Uh, and then defensively, ASU just struggled to contain the run. And we knew that that was going to be a factor in this game, as we discussed uh, a couple days before the game. And still, ASU was unable to stop Oregon State, both with B.J. Baylor and with their Wildcat quarterback, Jack Coletto. And the result was a 24 to 10 loss. Yeah, I think that Jacob obviously touched on a lot of key elements there. A couple other things I would just zero in on is the consistent lack of wide receiver production that we've seen now for the last few weeks. And that's very much interrelated with what Jacob talked about with the injuries where ASU is now dealing with a very narrow receiving core, especially without its top two receiving tight ends. But that's now consecutive weeks in which Rashad White has had more than half of the team's production through the air, which is obviously a little bit alarming for a passing attack that likes to take some shot plays and whatnot when it is running at its full potential. And then I would also point out that this is really just another instance in which ASU has had a letdown game. And Certainly, it was going to be tough to go into the Pacific Northwest and win consecutive games, but they were a favorite in both games, and this was one in which they just came out, started very slow, as was the case last week. Took them a while to get going against USC as well, and in this one, they just weren't able to recover against a pretty good all-around Oregon State team. I thought that the, the game flow early didn't match my expectations. I, I, these, um, I thought Oregon State would, would score the ball in this game. I thought that the Beavers' defense being pretty bad, especially in the secondary, would allow ASU to also match Oregon State scoring the ball. Uh, the first quarter, you know, 3 nothing. Oregon State, ASU missed the field goal but had more yards overall than Oregon State. Um, I was a little bit surprised by kind of that. Um, but then in the second quarter, we just saw Oregon State run the ball so successfully. ASU really didn't even possess it much. Uh, had a bad three and out in there. 
Um, and, and just the lack of passing game productivity was, it's been bad for the Sun Devils and Jaden Daniels and, and it just went to a new low in this game for me. I, I thought this was the worst probably that Daniels has performed, uh, all things considered. And there were some open guys that he missed. They're throwing screens multiple times on third and medium or long when that wasn't the best play. Not having Curtis Hodges and Jalen Conyers, I think, was a factor. They still tried to go into 12 personnel with uh, Hatch and Stivers. Didn't really work all that effectively. And then ASU struggled in the second quarter quite a bit against Oregon State's run game, um, giving up you know, an overall 150-yard total to Baylor, uh, who um, I don't think ASU had given up 100 yards to any running back or any player uh, through the whole season. So when you get behind 17-0, as ASU did with two missed field goals, the second of which didn't really, I think, have much of a chance when you don't have any uh, proven ability to hit long field goals with Logan Tyler all year. Um, it just put ASU in a really bad situation. And then they only got three points out of a six plus minute drive in the third quarter, even though they played better in the quarter questionable about kicking a field goal there versus, um, you know, three yards to go, uh, going for the fourth down. Um, and then in the fourth quarter, ASU just didn't have enough um, uh, continuity with its offense. That's where they kind of things broke down. They started to have more false start penalties and other issues. And uh, all in all, it was it was a uh, you got to rank it right up there with ASU's worst performances of the season. Yeah, and and you just hinted at it there, Chris. the The beginning of the game, the first half for ASU kind of dug them into a hole. Oregon State led 17-0 at the break, and there was a lot that contributed that, but let's just kind of break it down in what really caused ASU to have those struggles and what allowed Oregon State to have that 17-0 lead going into the half, Jacob. Well, Ethan, I think it was clear from the get-go that ASU was going to have a hard time moving the ball on the ground, and that obviously is a key for this team. You look at just the numbers alone, the Sun Devils attempted nine rushes and got just 25 yards in the first quarter. That's 2.8 yards per carry. And, you know, through the air, the Sun Devils were not bad at that moment. Now, Jaden Daniels did throw an interception on his first pass, but he was three for six with 61 yards. So there was room there. Still, ASU not able to get its run game going. And as Herm Edwards has said now several times this season, that's key for them. That doesn't that, 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 that changes a little bit in the second quarter, five rushes for 56 yards, sorry, for 31 yards, which is 6.2 yards per carry. It's an improvement, but the passing game slows down significantly four for seven, 25 yards. So offensively, there's this imbalance where in the first quarter, it's the rushing attack that doesn't really do anything. Daniel's able to pick up 61 yards through the air, despite the interception second quarter passing game slows down running game finds a little bit of room, but by then you're already trailing, so you have to lean on the pass game a little bit more. Uh, you know, penalties weren't a huge factor in the first half. They were certainly there, but it wasn't so much as it was in the second half. 
ASU was penalized four times for, for 30 yards in the first half, and that's significant. But it certainly didn't feel like the reason that the offense couldn't get going. It was simply that Oregon State's defense seemed to outplay it from the jump. So I would say that that was the biggest thing for ASU's offense, and I'll let Carson discuss the defensive woes in the first half. Yeah, and I think that on that end, you can really key in on what was ASU's undoing in the entirety of this game, and that was an inability to stop the run. And that complicated everything because it struggled to get off the field. It was significantly outpossessed and really dominated in that second quarter. The first quarter, Oregon State's up a field goal, but ASU had a shot at a field goal, a very makeable one at that. They outgained Oregon State. So you can essentially say that the two teams played each other even in that period. And then the second quarter, it was just all Oregon State because, as Jacob said, some of those offensive struggles on ASU's end, but Oregon State just dominated time of possession. Almost 12 minutes, they ran the ball 19 times in one quarter for 93 yards, and ASU just was not able to get off the field. It wasn't able to stop them on third downs for the most part, where they were where Oregon State was two of three in that period. Oregon State had seven first downs running the ball, like it was just repeated dominance in that respect and that's really what undid ASU in that quarter and ultimately put it on a path in which it was in a really tough spot to come back in the rest of that game and still wasn't able to stop the run down the stretch yeah go back to that Daniels interception on the first uh past tenth of the game that he had um ASU didn't handle um just a little uh, action with the defensive line where they slanted the front and guy ran free through what I think Ben Scott's responsibility was. And uh, Daniels got hit as, as he threw the ball and resulted in a bad underthrow. But uh, he had another, he had a receiver that was open on that play working across the middle that he appeared to not see, um, which yeah, that that's problematic. Like if you're going to get hit, you can't underthrow the ball. You have to actually, he knew he was going to take that hit. You have to actually look at your underneath uh, shorter area targets. And it was Ryan Morgan who played in this game for the first time working across on a shallow crossing route in his line of sight where the ball needed to go there. Um, the, the point that Jacob made about ASU's run game not working, well, that, that was because Oregon State was pretty consistently committing eight guys to the box from the outset. Opponents know uh, at this point that the, the Rashad White is, is half of ASU's offense or more in some of these games. And so trying to stop that run game uh, by committing extra to the box is what, what has to happen. And then what ASU was able to do successfully off of that was take advantage of man coverage uh, against White as a receiver. And he had the, the mesh route concept that went for a 20-plus yard gain, 23, 24 yards. And then um, this was on the second drive. And then just a couple of plays after that, uh, he ran just kind of a go ball fade from the backfield where uh, he dusted the man coverage assignment. And that ball was underthrown by Daniels by several yards or else it probably would have been a touchdown. 
And of course, ASU then ended up not being able to convert that into points because uh, missing the field goal with Sendejas. And that was, um, I think that was a lot of wind out of ASU sales because they had this pretty successful, good drive still early in the game. And they're not able, they weren't able to then turn that into uh, any points. Um, And then in the second quarter, it was just a total domination of Oregon State. What happened was uh, they didn't really need to throw the ball that much, but they were able to do so successfully with ASU playing cover three mostly, um, which hasn't worked when opponents have done a good job of bunching their receivers and getting them spraying out in different locations. And it was especially Chase Lucas who was um, given too much cushion in that cover three against Flemings and some of these other uh, receivers who Oregon State, they, they haven't really shown the ability to beat opponents down the field that much this season. But I think because ASU has in the past given up big double move plays to Oregon State, that maybe that was in the back of their heads and they were a little bit cautious about that. So, but between, you know, then Lucas had a third and 12 um, uh, pass interference, which was pretty costly. And Oregon say pretty methodically, just long series drives went down, scored twice. ASU's defense was, I think, kind of gassed at that point. They had tried to go with a heavier front to handle um, the athletic Oregon State offensive line and what B.J. Baylor was doing in the run game. They went with T.J. Pesafay at three-tech next to D.J. Davidson. And then in the second quarter, they even put Omar Norman Lott as an end um, just to get another heavier body. Remember, not, not having Darian Butler out there, that's a major factor against a team that inside runs like this. Kyle Soli had 15 tackles, a game high. And he made a lot of really good plays, but he also was out of position on, on a few that were pretty costly. And um, with ASU safety depleted, I think this was a game where Evan Fields or Kiwan Markham would have had a big impact. But them not being out there, um, that was an aggravating factor in ASU's struggles to stop the run. And you put that together with um, just – the lack of explosiveness in the passing game other than those two throws to white and Daniel's not really playing all that well or seeing the field like he needed to and some uh, breakdowns with the pass protection and roll that all up. And that's how you end up with a uh, really lopsided 17, nothing first half. Yeah. And, and the first half, as you guys just talked about, wasn't great, but when they came out in the second half, ASU looked a lot better. Their, the first defensive possession was a three and out, and then they went on a 14-play, 76-yard drive. It ended up stalling, but they ended up hitting a field goal. ASU only ended up scoring three points in the quarter, but they outplayed Oregon State. So, Jacob, we'll go to you first. How did you see or what did you see that allowed ASU to outplay Oregon State? But what did you also see that only allowed them to score three points? 
I mean, ASU's offense started to click to a degree on that drive that you just mentioned. They get the ball with 13 minutes and 23 seconds left in in the quarter. And immediately, Jaden Daniels throws a pass up the middle for four yards. Rashad White gains four yards and then another four yards. Daniels is able to scramble for over 10 yards. And they're moving the ball consistently. Uh, Several big plays in the drive. And you're seeing that ASU might be getting into a rhythm. Uh, One that sticks out to me. Jaden Daniels passes up the middle complete to Ricky Pearsall for 22 yards. And over the course of seven minutes, 11 seconds, ASU is playing quite well. And then, like you said, things stall out uh, and ASU hits a field goal. And I think that that was a questionable decision. Uh, You're already down 17. You probably want to try and score points there, especially on fourth and three inside the red zone. However, Uh, it was just the performance offensively that I think the team was looking for in the first half and defensively ASU was able to do its job. I mean, it was able to lock up the the running attack from Oregon state to a degree. Uh, The penalties don't play as much a factor for ASU's offense or defense, which is important. And I think also it's worth mentioning that Oregon state doesn't score points, but it didn't have a ton of time to Uh, ASU dominated time of possession in the quarter. Uh, and that's, that's critical. And part of that is also to its detriment because when you take up seven minutes, 11 seconds of game clock and you end the drive with a field goal, Oregon state's going to take that all day. So I think on paper, ASU obviously has a better quarter, but I think if you look in the scope of the game, that quarter is really a critical failure in my opinion for ASU because you can't take up half a quarter and end it with a field goal. That's a lack of aggression, particularly down three scores. And Herm Edwards said after the game that, that was to try and inject some confidence back on his sideline. But I'm not sure how much confidence you can really gain from only getting three points out of a quarter that you supposedly dominated. And I understand that the defense played well, but there was a lack of aggression that ends up plaguing ASU. So I think that really it wasn't a great quarter, all things considered. Yeah, I have to zero in on that decision to kick the field goal as Jacob touched on because ASU did put itself certainly in a position to succeed here. You force a couple of quick punts from Oregon State overall in the quarter on both sides of that drive, but a 14-play, 76-yard drive that results in three points when you're down 17 late in the game, it's just tough to look at that as a massive victory. And when you have fourth and three on the opposing eight-yard line and your offense has been moving the ball with significant success, and you're not going to have a whole ton of more chances at it, it does feel like the kind of spot where a lot of certainly more aggressive coaches at the very least would go for it. ASU only had four more possessions in total in this game, and it ended up being that really none of them were more than six plays. They were all very, very short. So they didn't have a whole lot of time left to put together two full touchdown drives, especially given how they like to play, where, yes, they were going to be throwing the ball more than normal no matter what because they were behind. But when ASU's offense is moving and gelling, it's going to be in large part on the back of the run game as well, kind of regardless. So I think that that's what you have to point to because essentially that's what this quarter was. It was a great drive by ASU and a couple of timely defensive stops after it had let Oregon State score on the last three possessions of the first half. And they couldn't capitalize in a significant way at the very least because they kicked the field goal. And just given the offensive production they had gotten, they didn't give themselves another chance to score outside of being gifted the ball on the opposing four-yard line. So 
taking the points there. I understand the philosophy from which that comes, but I think that most people or a lot of people at the very least look at that and think that's a spot where just given the context and how the game has gone, you got to be aggressive. You have the momentum on that drive and ASU did not do that. And that's why they come out of that quarter only up a field goal. Yeah, I didn't like that decision to go for three. You, you look at the overall game flow. Uh, Oregon State had scored two touchdowns on long drives in the second quarter. Um, ASU has really struggled significantly to pass the ball in recent games, um, which means that it's, it's likely going to take um, extended drives for ASU to score the ball. Like that's what I would be thinking if I'm ASU's coaching staff. Uh, so I, I'm anticipating in that situation, okay, Oregon State is probably going to score once or twice more. And um, like we don't have the ability to catch up like quickly. Um, so uh, for those reasons, and also the, if you believe in your defense anyways, right, which is why you would kick the field goal. You kick the field goal and go down two scores there because you believe in your defense. Well, if you believe in your defense in that way, then you also think that they're going to be able to get a quick stop if you uh, go for the fourth and three on the eight-yard line and you don't convert, right? So um, I, I, this isn't NFL. I think Herm Edwards' experiences in the NFL – uh, where their games are lower scoring and you, and teams have the ability to um, kind of turn it loose and th the game can sort of you know, really change form in the fourth quarter, especially doesn't really happen as much in college football. I just thought at the time that the ASU probably was not going to be able to get um, to, to even par. Now they did, of course, uh, after they kicked the field goal, then they got the, the then they got their only touchdown, which was gift wrapped because um, Oregon State's punter dropped the ball in around the five yard line, and, and and they were able to score a touchdown pretty quickly after that, and that cut the deficit ASU deficit seventeen ten. At that point in time, uh, people might have thought, okay, well, Herm Edwards' decision was smart because now they're only down. Um, a touchdown and they have the ability to get a stop and then go tie the game. Um, but then Oregon state scored again. Um, and that was the last points of the game actually. So it looked at for a period of time, like that might, might be the right decision, but then ultimately it, it, it wasn't, of course, the, the fourth and two wildcat touchdown run for 47 yards by Coletto was the, the real dagger in this game. And um, that was a little bit perplexing to me because Kyle Soli didn't fit up the right gap. And you, they had to know at the time that very likely that Coletto was going to carry the ball. He had uh, done so on a third and three inside the 10 earlier. And one other time he had done so hadn't seen them throwing the ball. I'm sure they have that in, in their package, but more than likely he's going to carry it. You have to fit the gaps up. That's what ASU coaches were talking about afterwards. That actually was the longest play from scrimmage that ASU had allowed all season was that 47 yard 
touchdown. And where that happened in the game, I, I, I thought, okay, that's, that's probably going to be it. Even though there was still a lot of time left, I just didn't really see ASU being able to come back from that with the offensive struggles that, that they had and have had uh, in, in throughout the season and especially in re- recent weeks. And so ASU ended up punting on its very next possession. And at that point, with Oregon State's ability to um, to run the ball and, and burn some clock, get into some four-minute offense, uh, I thought it was pretty much over. Of course, we saw that when ASU got the ball back again, it then started to have the false starting problems pretty uh, significantly, which moved the team backwards. You ended up in a third and 12, third and 17 back-to-back plays. And that's not, you're not going to be successful when that happens. And um, so they were uh, unable to get first down from that circumstance. And then we saw that Oregon State ended the game on a knee in a pretty dominant performance. Yeah, dominant performance for sure. Not the only time ASU has lost this season as a favorite or even just even betting odds. This is the fourth loss of the season, which ASU was a favorite, or as I said, even betting odds. And it kind of just asks the question of, What is kind of expected and what's next for this team? Of course, the Territorial Cup coming up, but Herm Edwards had his weekly press conference as well and had some interesting words that he said during that time. But Jacob, what did we see from ASU and what do we kind of expect for this last game of the season and then just moving forward? Well, I mean, as far as the expectation for the last game of the season, it's clear to me that ASU should win that game. Arizona is not very is, is not is not stiff competition in the slightest it, it, and so asu it's a must win uh and it is probably the difference between what is a failed to meet the expectations season to an absolute disaster uh asu's players had been saying from the beginning of the season and even as deep into the year as the ucla game that they expected to be in the rose bowl by the end of the year. Chase Lucas before the season had been saying Rose Bowl or bust and ASU isn't going to deliver on those expectations. That being said, uh, a loss to Arizona would take it from, it would take this to a whole new level. I would say that ASU probably has to try and figure out a way to get things going through the pass through the air uh, in the last game, but you know, it's so late in the season. I'm not sure that that's possible. The real key to me is that the team is able to reestablish its rushing attack be able to get Rashad White in particular going. Uh, And when it does throw the ball, it should probably be targeting Rashad White anyway. Uh, And that should be the key. But like Herm Edwards said yesterday, the, the expectation and the need is for them to be able to pass the ball. Yeah. I think that Herm Edwards' reflections on the season at this point are pretty interesting given what all the preseason talk was about the expectation to go out and win the Pac-12 South and be a Rose Bowl caliber team. And like I said earlier, this was just another instance in which ASU played a letdown game to go out there and score 10 points, regardless of personnel limitations and going on the road 
and whatever else against a defense that has really struggled for a majority of this season. Oregon State group that has not been good very consistently, although the last couple of weeks with the new defensive coordinator has looked better. That just has to be an alarming level of inconsistency from a team that had such high expectations and returned so much talent and so much experience as well. And I think there are things that stand out given the stage of the season that are just really perplexing, like the fact that certain parts of the offense can just drop off, like the fact that ASU had seven false starts in this game, not due to the environment it played in, but just due to a lack of discipline reacting to shifts on the opposing defensive line. All of those things, I think, speak to the nature of this ASU season, which was up and down and not up to expectations overall. But as far as they stand going forward, I think that Jacob's right. I mean, they are an overwhelming favorite against Arizona, and they should certainly convincingly win that game. And there are still things that need to be ironed out when it comes to whatever bowl they end up playing in. But this is overall, I would say, a subpar season given the expectations for ASU and obviously it's not that they have been a bad team it's not that they don't have a quality win or two but for the most part in the games that you have looked at as kind of toss-ups or games in which they were narrow favorites they haven't come out on top and those are the kind of games that you need to win if you are going to be an elite team even within the scope of the Pac-12 and ASU was not able to do that. If they somehow lose to Arizona, then this season is an utter failure, just an abject failure. Um, seven and five with this schedule in this conference is would be uh, and, and a loss to Arizona would be beyond embarrassing. Okay, like just period. If they beat Arizona, which they have to beat Arizona, um, eight and four is in my opinion, no better than like a C minus type of a performance, I would say for the year. You have to look at the range of possibilities. Herm Edwards said some stuff in this press conference on Monday that I found to be just alarming uh, attempts to reframe the narrative. Um, He said, and I'm, I'm gonna quote him here, There's been some highs and there's been some, I wouldn't say lows, there's been some wow, right? Question mark. That's football. I think if you look at our conference, every coach would say that. Every coach would say that whatever team they're coaching, whether you're in the Pac-12 South or the North, they would all say there's been some wow and there's been some really? end quote, really meaning kind of like surprises. And that just doesn't really make sense. Every team has its own range of possibility up to the upside to the downside. Arizona's range and ASU's range, extremely different, right? Like Arizona wasn't going to be a bold team this year, but if it had won four or five games, that would probably be considered a success. Whereas uh, there's, there was almost no way that ASU was only going to win four or five games this season. And so, so this, this, this thing that, 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 that is happening um, is 
frankly embarrassing. Like that's not what a head coach should be doing or saying as a narrative, given what ASU's potential was for this season. And um, he also said, and this is another quote, last week, if we can, meaning the Arizona game, if we can win, we get eight wins. I don't know. When you look at the conference, okay, okay, compare it to everyone else in the conference, what does it look like? That's what this Pac-12 is all about. I said it when I was first involved in it, end quote. Well, if, if, if you're willing to take that sort of a narrative, then why is your team, how is your team going to aspire to winning all of its games? Really? Like, what kind of expectations are you setting and framing when things don't go well? And I think that goes hand in hand kind of with their offensive penalty problems throughout the year and what Edwards has said about their penalties. He says that um, this is an epidemic across college football, essentially, that there's a lot of false starting and other things related to the shifting that the teams are doing. But Jacob looked up the numbers and the median number of penalties across the country has changed. It's in the last five years, it's, it's, it's negligible. It it's, hasn't changed in any year more than 0.2 penalties per year. Two years ago, it was 6.1 penalties. Now it's 6.1 penalties. But what we've seen happen is ASU, which was a very disciplined team under Todd Graham, its other flaws, of course, were very apparent, but not a lot of penalties. ASU has gone from uh, the... Um, 69th in the country in 2018 in penalties per game, penalty yards per game, or penalties per game, excuse me, to 97th a year later, to 98th last year, to 125th in the country this year. And then what Edward says about these things is just sort of like mealy mouth stuff, like we have to do a better job concentrating. Uh, he, he said, quote, that's all you can do. I can't do anymore. I can't coach it. You practice it, and that's what you do. That doesn't make any sense. Okay. Because obviously, every team around the country is trying to coach their team to not fall start, right? But it is the manner in which you do that teaching and coaching that ultimately determines whether you are successful or unsuccessful at doing it. And ASU is objectively among the most unsuccessful in the country at doing it, which is especially bad when you have no offensive potency and they do not have offensive potency in their passing game. So just coming into a press conference saying these things and not saying, Point blank, it's unacceptable. We're doing a bad job. Our coaches have failed. To me, is that's not acceptable. I don't, I, I think that that is what then allows these things to perpetuate in the way that they have. And um, so, 
this season is, a, in my opinion, ASU has disappointed. The coaching staff has disappointed. Uh, the players have not performed to their own stated expectations. And the opportunity rarely, if ever, gets better. They, they didn't play Oregon on their schedule. They had five Pac-12 home games, four Pac-12 road games. They uh, were going up against a league that is down, clearly down, um, probably doesn't have a single top 20 team at the end of the day. Uh, and they lost at home as a 16-point favorite to Washington State badly. They lost badly on the road to Oregon State as a favorite. Yeah, they had injuries and problems and whatever. That happens sometimes. You know, it, you still have to execute. And um, they were embarrassed in the second half at Utah. Okay, Utah is a good football team. I get it. But they were – they had a 16 penalties or whatever it ended up being against BYU. It was an embarrassment of a performance. And they then continue to still have some of those things be problematic throughout the rest of the year. That to me is coaching. And especially when you have a bunch of veteran guys, say what you want, but you have seniors and fourth year juniors starting uh, on the offensive line. Really Ben Scott, he's kind of young, special level in the last couple of games. He's young. Okay. He had a couple of penalties. Maybe you can kind of say, okay, I understand those, but it, it, it's still thematically a, a massive problem. And also, and I, I realize I'm going on and on here a, a bit, but a, you can say at this point in the season that ASU's offensive staff failed with Jaden Daniels in the passing game. They said at the outset of the season, everybody will, I think, remember that they were going to build their offense around Jaden Daniels and his strengths. And Zach Hill said that uh, we're going to see what Jaden likes and what he feels comfortable with and good about, and then we're going to roll with that. Well, that's not what I have seen. I think that they believed incorrectly that Jaden Daniels would be able to handle more advanced concepts this year in their pro-style offense, full field progression reads, being able to go one, two, three to the check down and function really quickly. And uh, he has demonstrated that he is not ready for that. He demonstrated that he was better in a simpler offense under Rob Likens that they had two years ago that they fired and moved on from to go in this direction that then subsequently proved to be a nosedive into a pile of rocks because Daniels has more interceptions than touchdowns. What I think clearly needed to happen was they needed to build in a very different type of concepts to, into their offense. It needed to be uh, a lot of half field reading rollouts where he's got level concepts receivers in front of him you can see two receivers in your in your line of, of view maybe even three and then you also have the run option it's sort of like a what mike norvell maybe did with taylor kelly type of a example um especially early on it's not what a pro style kind of thing 
And um, so they miscalculated and their miscalculation in those areas led to, contributed at least, to ASU having a really pretty poor passing attack this season, um, which if you also remember Herm Edwards said at the outset, hey, we need to score a lot more points. This is college football. You got to be averaging in the 30s. Well, that didn't happen. And, and, and really, I, I think it's clear to me that coaching has been a limiting factor quite, quite a bit for ASU this season. Yeah, and ASU now will have to move on to the Territorial Cup against Arizona that you guys touched on, which is coming up this Saturday. Make sure to stay tuned to all of our content leading up to that. If you want any more about this Oregon State loss, the upon further review and 10 takeaways will both be on the site soon, so keep an eye out for those. And ASU basketball is going to be in the battle for Atlantis, their first Matchup is on Wednesday, November 24th against top 10 ranked Baylor and defending national champions as well. So that'll be a tough test for Bobby Hurley and the squad early on into the season. But for now, that's it for this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. For Jacob Rudner, Carson Breber, and Chris Cartman, I'm Ethan Ryder. We'll see you guys next time.